I'm excited, and I want to remind you of the King and the Kingdom, that Jesus is coming. And uh, I know we've been doing a lot. We've been focusing a lot on This Is Church, and it's been good stuff. You guys have been enjoying it. Hey? It's been great just learning, taking that stuff in again. And um, for me, you know, even as we've been doing this, I've been realizing a lot of that has got to do with the fruit, a fruit of what's a healthy church, the fruit of what's a good elder, a fruit of a good leader, a fruit of a good apostle, you know, all those are fruit that we're talking about, okay, and they're important, and uh, it's good to know fruit, because a fruit helps us gauge how we're doing as a church, because Jesus said that in, what's that, in Matthew 7, when he said, uh, you'll know them by their fruit, right? So, it's a, fruit is always a good thing to look at, in order to know that we're doing okay, but um, I'm not going to focus too much on the fruit, but I felt in the Lord to, to focus on the root this evening, um, and, uh, and that's what I want to do. Because, you know, when you address fruit, you address something you can see. Okay, because that's what Jesus said, you'll know them by what you see, the fruit. All right, so, but I want to address the root. And the, the thing with the root, it's something you can't see. When you think of the roots of a tree, it's something that's under the ground, right? It's something undercover. It's, no, one, no one looks at the tree, wow, that tree has got amazing roots. You don't do that. You, you, you look at the fruit and you say, wow. You know, you, uh, but, but the fruit is something that God's going to judge us one day on the fruit, but he's also going to judge us on the root. And I want to I kind of bring a clarity to what do I mean when I talk about roots. I want to talk about our motives. I want to talk about just things that uh, the unseen actions, why we do what we do. And this is important that we understand, church, because we can do this as church, but sometimes we forget the why. Okay, and I don't want us to become imbalanced that, you know, this is a good church structure, this, da, 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 you know, and we're doing all the things, but we forget the why. We forget the motive of what we're doing it for. And, uh, and so I want to go to a scripture in Revelations because God judges a church by their motives and by their fruit, by their actions and by their roots. Okay, so I want to go to Revelations 2 from verse 4. And I don't, I'm going to try and make it a short, short uh, message because I feel to do something this evening. And so, but here Paul is, uh, sorry, John, uh, John is sharing just about the revelation of Jesus. And, and, and he's saying this. Have you got that one? He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you have found them liars. And you have uh, pers- sorry, preserved and have patience. Persevered. Sorry, why did I say preserved? Persevered and, and have patience and labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. I just want to stop there before we go into the next part. Do you see what he's saying? Like, you understand a lot of stuff as a church. You understand what, what a good church should look like. You understand the apostolic. You understand good leadership. You can understand eldership. Everything we've been doing in this is church. That's what, that's what John is saying. And you've been patient and you've been enduring. And uh, you're doing all the right stuff. And then he says this. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove the lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Now, I really feel that ties in line with the word just that Lynette gave. Just, it's almost like God calling us to repentance, to get it out, get the stuff that is false, that, 
that just drives our motives the wrong way. It produces the wrong fruit, you know what I mean? And, and so get our roots right with Jesus because it's our roots that he's concerned and he's judging them not merely by their fruit, not merely by the, their actions or what they're doing, but he's, he's actually going deeper and he's saying you've lost your first love. That's important to God. The fact that God's judging them by even their intentions. That's, do, you, do you think about it? God's judging them not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it. Your intentions. That's why the, the Word of God is so sharp. It says that it cuts even to the division. So when God brings the Word, it says it cuts to the division of soul and spirit. And it says uh, bone and marrow, so that it judges the thoughts and the intentions, that even the intent of why you're doing what you're doing. He's going to judge even that. That's how sharp the Word of God is. And so we've got to allow that Word to dissect us. God, my motives are even wrong. I don't even know when my motives are sometimes wrong. But come and judge me, Lord Jesus. Come look in my heart. Come, come look at those roots because no one can see them other than you, really. Come and do that, Jesus. And I really feel that for some of us. Our roots, and we know what? The thing with our roots, we hide. We hide things. And, you know, we, we, the Bible, that's why the Bible says confess your sins. Confess to one another. It's allow God to work in that thing in us. And, uh, and so... And so John's saying, you've, nevertheless, you, you know, you've lost your first, first love. And uh, your first love. If you think about your first love, he's not just saying you've lost your love as a church. He's talking about your first love. The love that you have when you first, think of your spouse, when you first got married. Eh? It's like, man, you would do anything for that person. And, and I love my wife. She loves me. But, you know, there is a difference sometimes that, I can love her, but not be in love with her. Do you, you get what I'm trying to say? I, I, I can even be, I can love her even by my actions. My dis, I've got, you know, as a family, you've got certain disciplines in, in, in your household. Hey? I mean, I get up, I make my wife tea in the mornings. That's all an act of love. I sometimes cook, I sometimes wash the dishes. Those are all actions that express the love. But I can do all of those things and still not be in love. Do you understand what I'm saying? Still be in the, the emotion of it, the, the, the newness of that, to keep that thing alive. You, you married people, you understand what I'm talking about, eh? You unmarried people shouldn't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, Connor. <laughs> but, but he's calling us back to our first love. And you know, it it's kind of reminds me of worship. You know, there's a word in worship where it talks about proskunine. We, we're talking about, you know, laying down in a... It's, it's being in that place. You know the word proskunine mean, really means being prostrate on the floor, but it's, it's lying flat because you're so aware of the presence of God. And I'm so consumed. Like, like kind of when um, was a Peter who went and he saw Jesus on the mountain and he saw Moses and Elijah and he just fell flat on his face and he just like... In awe, we were singing that. We are in awe of you, Jesus. We're so in awe. I'm just, I'm laying prostrate on the floor because I'm so aware of your presence. I'm so aware of your glory, of your holiness, of your beauty. We can't lose sight. So that's one aspect of worship. But there's another aspect of worship which talks about latruo, which means to serve. Like Joshua, me and my household, we will serve. That word worship is serve the Lord. So there's that aspect of love. That, and it works in worship the same way. 
So I love my wife, but it doesn't, you know, I can, I can even do acts of service because I'm love, I love her, but I'm not always in awe or in, you know, captivated by her, by her beauty. Of her, you know what I'm saying? And so it's the same with the Lord. Are we constantly being in a place where we put our hearts and, and we posture ourselves in a place that we're constantly in awe of who He is? And, you, and, and so th- this is important, church, because if your heart is not postured that you're aware of the presence of God, what you do will not be done out of that. And that's why he says, uh, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And then he says, do the first works. So what, what is the difference? I mean, we're always doing works. I mean, I can still be doing works in my marriage, but I can let those works, those disciplines be that which makes me do it rather than my first love. And that's what he's saying here. You need to get back to your first love so that you can do your first works. That your motive of everything why you're doing what you're doing is because you love. And you love me. And don't think it's not important. It's very important. God's judging the church here in that. And he says, if you don't, I'm going to come and take your lampstand away. Sure, that's a heavy, heavy. I mean, we can do this as church. And Jesus can still say, I'm going to come and take your lampstand away. Heavy. I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to get us back to the place where we're passionate for Jesus. I'm not trying to breathe heavy. Just, yeah, coming back to our first love. Uns erster Lifter. I'm using that Afrikaans dictionary that you guys gave me for my birthday. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I mean, the works that I did when I first met Lauren, you know, I, she stayed in Maritzburg. I was in Secunda. That was five hours' journey. And I would visit her tw- every second week. I'd come and visit. She was with a, a whole commune of friends. At a, you guys stayed as a digs in a house, and I would go and visit. But I was earning an appy salary then. So I got about probably about 5,000 rand a month. And of that, I would probably spend about two just to go and visit because toll gates were expensive then too. So you go every second week to go and visit. But you know what? I, I never calculated. I would, I would just give it because... I was in love. You, you know, the cost didn't really mean that much because, you know, you want to see your partner. You want to see your, your friend. And uh, it's the same for us, you know. What compels us to do what we do? Is it the love of God? I mean, that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14. It's the love of Christ that compels us. It should be that. And then he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And so, so to get back in that place of just to be in love, to be in that place of, of God. I, have you ever thought about how do you get back to that place? How do you get back to that place? It's, it's easy to say it, but how do you get back? How do you posture your heart back into the place where I'm experiencing the presence of God, where I'm experiencing the love of God, where I'm experiencing the holiness and the glory of who God is? Well, he says, yeah, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. And then he says, repent. So remember from where, have you ever remembered from where you've fallen? Have you ever gone back to your past? Not, not in a condemning way and say, oh, that was terrible, uh, you know, to condemn me. But I go back to that place and I remember what Jesus rescued me from. I remember, I look back and I think, yes, like I was messed up. You know, I was that guy that was abusive because I was abused. I was that guy who hurt because I was hurt. I was that guy who would break because I was broken. You know, I was that guy. I was that messed up. And it's in that place where I'm so aware of just who I was, and I begin to look at the holiness of God again. Thank you, God, that you rescued me. And, I, 
And even now, as a Christian, I, sometimes we, we think that we're safe from that, but we start thinking that we become good in ourselves. You know, but we've we got to remember, the same way we remember there, we've got to remember, you know, Jesus is still holy and we're not. We're getting there, we're striving, you know, he says, be holy for I'm holy, but we're not there. You know, so many times when I look at him, I just realize just how indifferent I can be to him. But that only happens in the moments where I'm aware of his holiness. It's only in that moment where I'm in, his, in the place of worship, in that place of intimacy, that I realize, God, I'm far from you. I'm a stranger to your holiness. You realize in that moment that how ugly sin is and how ugly it can be in you. And it's good to be there, church. It's good because that is the place where he says, remember from where you've fallen and then repent. See, it's in that place where you, you realize, oh God, you're holy, and this is where I was going, but now I see your holiness and I'm going to turn and I'm going to move towards where you're calling me to. See, and that's why he says, repent from where you've fallen. Come back to that place. And so, yeah, and so it's not just, it's remembering our past, but it's also bringing us to a place of, of recognizing where he's calling us to. And, uh, and so it's there that we're not reliant on routines or programs, or it's from there that we rely on him, on the person of Jesus. You know, sometimes I think as we've been walking in the Lord for so long, we start trusting in the principles of Jesus rather than the person of Jesus. I mean, the principles work. I mean, those are principles Jesus could for us, to, to, and they will benefit us. But when you depend on those principles alone, you can become dependent on that and not on Him. And then you know what happens? We become devoid of faith in that moment. We need to walk by faith and not by sight, and that includes principles. What is sight? It's seeing Him again. Faith that we can see Him and what He's doing and working with Him. Remember, it's His works that's, that He does through us. It's not our works. <clears throat> and it's in that place, you know, that, that you know, I'm just reminded of that scripture where it talks about his kindness that leads us to repentance. Uh, it's, we don't just repent for the sake of repenting. It's his kindness. He shows us who he is, and then we repent. Um, and I'm just reminded of John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 8. When, remember when he, when he condemns the Pharisees, and he says this, Repent. And then he says, have works in keeping with repentance. You see, the works follow from the place of repentance. So when we, when we turn and we see him again and when we behold the beauty of who he is, from there that the things we do begin to be done through God and in God and by God. Do you understand? We, we're, not, we're not doing those works that we do of ourselves. And that's what he's warning the church. He says, remember, remember that, remember that, first love, repent, and then turn from that, but but then the works that you do from there will be the works that he's called you to do. Do you, do you get it? Okay, and I want to just quickly just talk about just the motives again. Because I, I think Jesus gives a beautiful picture here. And uh, just as we look at the motives. And I want to go back to the gospel. It's going back to our first love. And in the scripture that I want to go to, it's about the kingdom. And you don't have to turn there yet, Paul. But, but Jesus talks about two recipients of the kingdom, two people that receive the kingdom, that understand the kingdom. And uh, we're going to look at them quickly. It's just two verses, I think, two, two, two verses. 
And it, and it talks about these two recipients and their response to the kingdom. And I love this picture because, you know, you're actually watching them watch the kingdom. And Jesus uses this parable because we can't naturally see the kingdom. That's why he used parables like he did, is to express something of the kingdom, something of the, the glory of who God is and what he's doing. But he, but he couldn't describe it, and so he had a whole list of parables. But there's just two that I want to share on. So let's go to Matthew 13 quickly. This is us watching the people that are beholding the kingdom, that are watching. So we're watching them watching. Okay. <laughs> Matthew 13. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which is the song we sang, which a man found and hid. And with joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking a beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, I, lo I love that scripture because it looks from the surface, it looks like the same thing, but they're actually very different. And I want to talk about the slight deviation you have between the two recipients that see the kingdom because this is the illustration that Jesus gives of those guys who see the kingdom. And so I want to look at character number one. Okay, let's look at him. He's the man that, that finds the treasure in the field. Now, this parable <clears throat> doesn't give us much detail about this guy. We don't know his trade. So when he came across this treasure in the field, it says he, he kind of stumbled upon it. I don't know what he was doing there. He might have been a person there that was just walking on his way somewhere, some journey, and he like trips over this thing. What's this? And he like dusts it off and... See, oh, this is, this is a treasure. Or, or he has another thought. He might have been one of these guys. He's working in a field. And he's working in a field. Maybe he's plowing and he comes across this treasure. I don't know. But, but this guy, what makes him a little bit different to the other guys, he stumbles upon the treasure. Where the other guy, if you look at the guy who was the, the one seeking, he was the one actually looking. For the treasure. But notice this guy, because I think, you know, we, we are the one of those two characters. I know, because I've been in church long enough to see the people that stumble over the person of Jesus and those who actually come in because they're looking for him. And the, you can have that. I mean, I've had people that come to church and, and you know, guys that come and they, they like church and these are a cool bunch of guys, let's connect. And, and you understand this, you, you like this thing of family, but, but there comes a moment where the lights come on. It's like, Wow. You know, I can see Jesus. I, I didn't see this before. I mean, this guy invited me and he connected, but, but now I can see Jesus. And there's a response in the heart towards that. You know, have you seen those kind of people? Okay. Some of us are sitting here. But you didn't come necessarily because you felt you had a void in your heart and you were seeking him. Only afterwards you realize what you were missing. I mean, I know there's people like that. I mean, it's not to say... I mean, it's real. You don't know until you see. And uh, Paul, Paul's a good illustration of this. Paul thought he was doing everything for God. I mean, he was, he was persecuting Christians. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. But, but he was going about, and then all of a sudden, God strikes him off the horse on his road to Damascus. And Paul's blinded, and he realizes, and he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And God reveals himself to Paul. And it's at that moment that Paul stumbles upon the person of Jesus. 
Just think of it. And I know God does that with some of us. Some of you, I know some guys here, and I know you wouldn't necessarily be here had you not been struck off your horse. God had to arrest some of you. Some of you had to stop you in your tracks. You're doing what you're doing because there wasn't that void in you. This just shows the mercy of God. You were doing what you were doing, going your way, and God had to just strike you off that horse and say, I'm arresting you today. Today you're going to hear me like he did with Paul. That's the mercy of God that he would do that. So don't despise that if God strikes you off your horse. Paul might have been blinded for a while, but actually it was from that place that he could see. And Paul even said this, you know, when, when, when he came to that point of the knowledge of who Jesus, he even comes back to that point and he remembers in Philippians 3, 8, he says this, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the, exceeding, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. So even Paul, who stumbles upon this treasure, he realized, man, I've stumbled across nothing more that's more beautiful than this, and I'll give up everything for it. But the second guy, if I look at him, the second guy is a merchant. Now, I just want to look at that quickly. <clears throat> if you look at the second guy, he went seeking. He went looking for it. You know, think of the merchant as they go looking for valuable things. And they normally what they do is they take the value of what's in one country and they'll sell it in another country. And basically, this merchant came looking for Jesus, actually. He came looking for the treasure. He didn't know maybe what it was at first. But there was an awareness that when he found it, he knew that this is what I was seeking. He found the void that he was looking for, that one pearl of great price. And, uh, and I've seen that in church. I've seen people come because they didn't want. And you know what? The amazing thing is Jesus comes and he satisfies that. And you can come in want, and even, the, even there once, you can come in want out of desperation, out of whatever is happening physically, Maybe you've got marriage issues. Maybe your kids have got... But you come, but all of a sudden you realize your want was far bigger than what you actually thought. Because your want was actually salvation. And you didn't know that. And I love the fact... I want to say this. Is, you know, we can't bring you to the place where you acknowledge Jesus. He comes and does that. And uh, he says in Revelation 3.20 that he stands at the door and he knocks. And those who open, he will come in. That's a promise. If you open that door, I will come in. Now, I just want to go back quickly to the, to the parable. Now, some people here yeah, might just stumble a bit over the ethics of this. <laughs> yeah, especially the guy that finds the treasure in the field. And he, and he sees it and he covers it up and goes back and sells everything, comes back and buys a field. Now, I, know, I know some of you will think legalistic because you think like a lawyer. And you know, is this the right thing? You know, why would Jesus do this parable? But just to settle your heart, I know in the rabbinic law, so all the Jews that were listening to Jesus would understand this, which you and I might not. But in the rabbinic law, is if you, the law says that if you find fruit or if you find money or if you find treasures and you find it, owners keepers, it's yours. That's the rabbinic law, okay? Now, you might also have a problem, well, how, how do you know that that treasure didn't belong to the man who had the land? You know, was that unethical? Well, 
Think of it logically. If you were the guy selling the land, would you sell him the land with the treasure in? Or would you maybe even go back and take the treasure first and then say, okay, the land's yours? Yeah, logic would say that. But obviously the guy didn't know the treasure was there. Okay, so it wasn't his. So just to help you just process things. But I was thinking a bit deeper than that. This is how my mind works sometimes. I was thinking a bit deeper. Why, why not just take that treasure and put it in your pocket and carry on walking? Okay, I know, I know I'm going to get a bit of liberty here. I know Jesus doesn't qualify this. He doesn't clarify. But I was just processing, why would Jesus use this illustration? I mean, logically, I would, that's what probably I would do. It's easier. So he has my thoughts. I could, you can come challenge me afterwards. <laughs> it's fine. But my thoughts are this. Maybe that treasure was just too big to take and put into your pocket. Maybe it was just something too weighty, too glorious to, to just take and, and put in you. Or here's another thought. He goes and he sells everything he has, and he goes and buys the field. Think of the logic of this. What is he doing in that moment? Now, this is how I would maybe perceive what Jesus might be trying to tell us, is that this guy's actually found something so valuable that he's going to build his whole life around this field that he's bought. Maybe he's saying, you know what, I need a farm anyway, I've sold my house, whatever I was doing, I'm, I'm giving that all up because this is now my new residence. And so where I farm, where I raise my kids, where I have family, everything is going to be around this treasure. And I think sometimes the gospel's given wrongly, church. I, I really feel that. If I, if, I, if I think of this parable of Jesus talking about the wonder of the kingdom, sometimes we think of the treasure. Just, let's just take Jesus, put it in my pocket, let me carry on doing what I'm doing. But I have to buy the whole field because it, my life is revolving around him. Things have changed. Are we going back to that place, church, where we, where we give him everything? That now, it's not me doing my own thing. My, my, my marriage is going to revolve around this. My kids are going to revolve around this. My life, my time, everything, even my work, this is my field. And I want to say, it doesn't matter where you are in the workplace. I know many of you work hard. But just be careful that you're not revolving around that. Make, make your work revolve around the kingdom. There's a different circles. Yes, God has given us work. He's blessed us with it. But be careful that that thing doesn't become the pearl of great price, the treasure. It's Him. I know it's hard sometimes to juggle that thing. It's hard. But I want to say, just keep the main thing the main thing and keep your love for Jesus. That's what keeps us in line. It's actually our love for that treasure. It's our love for Him. That's how you, you gauge it. You're not going to gauge it you know, God's blessing. No, that's how you gauge it, is your love for Him. If that love for Him diminishes, if that beholding Him diminishes, if the glory of who God Christ is diminishes, you're going to be revolving it around the wrong things. <clears throat> I'm nearly done. And I believe, you know, for me, I believe the church that shows the cost without the glory can become legalistic. And we've got to be careful that we don't do that. That we don't just focus on the cost. Because the cost is there. We've got we to weigh up the cost. We've got to look at the cost. But even in this as church, I've been, I've been very careful because we're talking about the cost, the cost, the cost. And the cost is important. It's good to come to the knowledge that it's going to cost you everything. But the glory isn't in that. I want to I just show you this to you. 
You know, Paul, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. Remember, I'm talking about motives now. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about motives. So let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 3. Paul, Paul's questioning the, the church in Corinth. He's questioning their motives. And he says this, And though I bestow, on all, so bestow all my goods to feed the poor, in other words, give it away to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Have you ever thought about this? He's saying even if you get to the point of martyrdom, you give up everything, even your life. Think of this. Even your life, you can do it in the wrong motive. <laughs> Hectic. Do you see where, how far Paul's going? Even you can be martyred for wrong motives. So, he's saying, you know, you need to get back to understanding even your motive of the cost, because a lot of us glory in the cost. We like to show people, look what I'm willing to give up. But the moment you do that, you make the cost about you, not about the glory and the wonder and the splendor of what you just saw. See, it's important that we understand that. And, and I, that's why I'm very cautious as the church just to talk about the cost. Because sometimes we glory in the, in the cost. The glory is not in the cost. The, the glory is in the transaction. Okay, and I'm going to show you that. It's about the great exchange. You know, the other thing I want to say, a church that focuses on the glory without the cost is also a church that will become licentious, a church that would, would you know, be unbalanced the other way. But, um, and so God's grace, this is the thing, God's grace might be free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus everything. And don't confuse the two. <clears throat> Where was I? And so, yeah, so for me, you know, just let's, let's just put the cost in the right place. Let's put the glory in the right place. The amazing thing about these two people is when they made the spiritual transaction, when they gave up everything, it wasn't for the purpose, hey, check me out, I'm giving everything here. No, they saw the treasure and they knew that this transaction was going to be more beneficial to me than it was for God, yeah. You understand? This transaction was for me. It was for my benefit. I'm the beneficiary. I'm the one who's scoring out of this deal. This is a deal of the century. In fact, this is the deal of eternity. There's nothing better than I can, that I can get. So I'm the beneficiary. I'm not the, the martyr alone in doing this. Do you understand? what? what, what he, so the glory is in that. Cool. You guys, all right. Now, now, this is so important. The cost is important, but the glory is important. But this is in our witness, and this is what I want to encourage you guys in, in this and to understand this. This is why it's important that as we become witnesses for Jesus, that they see both the cost and the glory. You see, like I said from the beginning, people can't see the kingdom, right? Those who haven't been saved, unless Jesus reveals himself, unless the Holy Spirit comes and shines in their hearts, they can't see the kingdom. But they can watch you receive the kingdom. And so I've got a lovely scripture just to end with this. 1 Peter 3.15. It says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Keep that scripture up. 
So as, as we sanctify Jesus in ours, as we set him apart, as we recognize that he's the treasure and, and this is everything I'm going to live for, this is going to be where my passion is, this is where my livelihood is going to be, this is where my, my motives, everything is going to be on this. And it says in that, as you make Jesus, as you sanctify him in your hearts like that, people are going to look at you because they can't see the kingdom. They're going to look at you. What are you giving yourself to? So when people acknowledge that moment where your hope is not in the world, because when you do that, they're going to see a hope that's supernatural. And then people look at you and they think, okay, so where's your hope? Can you explain to me what you're doing? You're giving your life to this thing. It doesn't make sense. Why would you give your family time? Why would you give up this? So that in itself is a testimony, is a witness. And he says when, when people acknowledge that, so people won't just come up to Bob and say, hey, Bob, sure, what is the hope in you if Bob is not representing the kingdom, if he's not giving up things for the kingdom that, is, that the world does, because the world can love and, and buy and sell for their own transaction, you know, for their own benefit, but when we do it from a place that doesn't benefit physically, they're going to ask, well, what, what does it benefit you? What is the glory of this? And then when people ask you for the hope that you have, then that word that you, it says that always be ready to give a defense. Now that word defense is apologia, apologetic in other words, give the gospel. You know, give your testimony. Because now people are asking questions. And they're provoked in their own hearts to ask questions because they, they can't see the kingdom, but they can see you seeing the kingdom. And that's exactly the parable that Jesus is saying with these two people. The one seeking and the one that stumbled across it. So I just want to, in that, I want to open up for us a bit of ministry time. Can we just bow our heads? Because there might be some people here that have never seen Jesus. How do I know? How do you know if you haven't seen Jesus? How do you know that you haven't beheld him? Well, you know what? As we've been reading that scripture, as we've been looking at the parable, it says they gave up everything. And like I said, it wasn't a selfish motive. It's like that moment that you behold his glory, that you say, God, this is what I want. This is what I'm longing for. This, this beauty of who you are, Jesus, won't you come? I, I, I'm seeing glimpses of you, but I want to receive you wholeheartedly. I want to I give up everything for, for knowing more of you. And you know what? This is why Jesus came, to seek and save that which is lost, to seek and save us. You know, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of, of God. And you know what? But Jesus has made a way for us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never made him Lord and Savior of your life, can I ask that you do that today? There might be people sitting here, you, you've never done that. Today is the day of salvation to you. To anybody. just want to take a moment. I want to rush by. Jesus. And then I just felt for the next group of guys too is that maybe you've lost sight of your first love. And like I said, you know, God's going to judge us not only by our fruit. You know, you can come here, you can go through the motions, but God wants all of your heart, not just your works. He doesn't just want your hands. He wants you. 
and we lose sight of Him, then He loses sight of our, our hearts. And He's calling you back to that place of His first love. Because the works that you do from here have to be done in Him. And it can only be done in Him is when you're beholding Him, when you're spending time with Him, that you're intimate with Him, that you, that you can't wait to just get up and be with Him. Because that's what it's about. It's from that place of intimacy. And maybe you've lost that first love. I want you to respond to, not to me, to Him. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of, of Him witnessing with your spirit to come and awaken those things that have become dormant. Yes, you love God, but you're not in love with Him. If that's you, don't you want to come and respond to Him this evening? Come and respond and just commit it to Him. I, I believe just even coming forward, just there's a, there's, a, there's a declaration that sometimes we make. Say, God, I've missed it. And we all do. We all fall short of this sometimes. We go through dips. We go through life. We get busy. And God is calling us back to our first love. Come to that place. Maybe you've lost sight of that treasure and the beauty and the wonder and the splendor of Him. Can I call that you come to the front now? We can pray for you and just minister the Lord over you that He can awaken that thing in us. Come on. You know if it's you. You know why? Because you're doing things just going through the motions. If that's you, you've lost your first love. I'm sure there's more. Don't be shy. We've all been there. No one else. Well done. Good. We're going to pray for them now, but I just want to say a prayer quickly and then we're just going to pray and minister just Jesus over you guys. Lord, I want to pray even tonight as you know every heart here, Lord, and you know those that have responded. Lord, where we've lost sight of the beauty and the wonder and the splendor of you, Jesus. Why don't you come and just take sometimes when that heart becomes like a heart of stone and, and just unresponsive sometimes, not because we're willing, not because we're defiant of you, not because we're rebelling against you, but it's just just going through the motions, Lord, that we've just subtly, piece by piece, moment by moment, even as we heard Lynette say, just like David, he was lying on the couch and he wasn't doing what his men were doing. He was just in that passive mode. Sometimes we get there, Lord. But your grace and your mercy is so glorious that you come and fetch us where we are. And so, Lord, I want to pray right tonight that as you come, Lord, you would awaken those hearts again that begin to beat for the heartbeat of God. They begin to just uh, be aroused by the affections of Jesus, that you would stir those hearts, Lord, that you would come and awaken feelings again that have become dormant for the kingdom. Lord, I pray that they would begin to see the wonder and the beauty of you, Jesus. They would bring them back to their first love. And from that would be the works that they did at first. That same enthusiasm, that same zeal for your house would consume them, Lord Jesus. Come, Father. Let's just sing that song again. We ask some of the leaders just to come and pray.